the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Well, welcome everybody. It's Wine Women Radio Hour. I'm Marcia Maycomber here today with Lisa Adams Walter. Hello, Lisa. Hello. How are you, Marcia? I'm doing great. It's good to see you, particularly you without masks. I know. I know. It's Marcia and I have seen each other on occasion masked, so this is nice to see you without a mask. Right. We do. We do our Zoom with our distance, and then but then when we are kind of handing off wine, we do it with uh, safety protocols in place. So uh, good to do it this way. Uh, Misty Rodovishkane is also here. Hello, Misty. Hi, Marcia. You've been working like crazy. I know, we've been busy. And so. The wine world never stops. No, it doesn't. Or at least the, the wine world at St. Supery never stops. Well, I think the industry overall used to stop for a while, but I've been hearing that from more and more people that, you know, it's just we're continuously having to reinvent and come up with new ways to do things. Yep, yep. And, and Harvest just started last week, uh, so... Things are looking busier out there. I don't know about you guys, but um, I am now starting to regularly see uh, trucks that are hustling back and forth uh, with the big bins going going back and forth between vineyards and wineries to uh, crush pads. Um, all, of course, most of this is happening in Carneros. Um, our harvest here tends to start at the southern end of wine country in Carneros where the grapes are grown for sparkling wine and then it tends to move its way north as things ripen and become ready to uh, to be picked. Um, so we see a lot of it at the south at the beginning. I'm pretty excited today we have a great new guest with us. Laura Schermeister is with us. Hello Laura. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and um, on the podcast. Thanks for being with us today. Laura and I have actually been Facebook friends uh, and, and you know, <laughs> traded questions and queries and uh, tips on succulent plants uh, on Facebook. It's still dying, by the way. <laughs> My succulent plant is still dying. And I'm pretty sure I saw some little kitty cat chew marks in the leaves. So uh -oh. I'll get back to you on that. There you go. Uh, so, but this has been the first chance that we've had to get Laura on the show and um, and talk about her wines with her husband, Rob. Rob is the winemaker. Uh, yes. Laura is on the marketing and sales end of all of this. Um, Schermeister likes to go by uh, smallest winery in Sonoma County. Is that one of your little taglines? Smallest winery in Sonoma with the tasting room. So we do about 700 to 750 cases of wine a year total between around five varietals, sometimes six if Rob is feeling like he can pack in one more vintage that year. So, you know, we're kind of getting in the swing of things um, here in Glen Ellen. Our tasting room's been open for about a year and a half and we're really learning how to manage things on this bigger level before you know rob started with 125 cases of pinot in 2012 so yes we are super super tiny about as small as it gets with a tasting room <laughs> it is a beautiful tasting room by the way i did get a chance to stop in and you know. talk with rob briefly a good six feet apart and i have to tell um lisa right. yeah if you haven't been there the, the fun part um, is you go in and there's a giant S on the wall. And the S, that was his idea. <laughs> yes, he mentioned that here, here's the real challenging thing. The S is made entirely from little tiny wine bottle sized shelves, each of them holding a Schermeister wine all the way up and around in a big S. It's like, what, about five feet tall or something? It is. Yeah, I'm actually looking at it right now from the door. It is a probably a good five feet tall and each individual shelf with a wine bottle on it that forms the S, we eyeballed on the wall. So there was no measuring, nothing like that. I made a little mock-up. I'm a graphic designer by career default 
that's what I've been doing since I was in my early 20s. So I mocked up a little design and I looked at my layout on the paper and I looked at the wall and I'm telling Rob, okay, a little to the right, a little to the left. It's definitely, uh, the tasting room is a labor of love. And most of the space was done by us. We're kind of do it all type of people. We're the only people who run the tasting room too. We have no employees. So um, every time people come in to visit our space, they get to taste with me and Rob. So we're looking to hire one person to help us on Saturdays during harvest. I'm about to post the ad. It's a very exciting time for our tiny little winery. But, um, but yeah, I designed the tasting room myself. Rob's dad is a woodworker, so he cut all the wood pieces for all of the furniture that I designed. And then um, he brought it down from Oregon and Rob and his dad built it all together. So we really just love being able to do everything on our own. It feels good. And you are in the quaint little uh, Jack London village, correct? We are. It's so crazy how we got here too. When Rob first came to California in 2006, he was about to start work in Napa and lived in Glen Ellen for a month while he was looking for permanent place to live. He ended up in Yauntville, but he did live in Glen Ellen. It was his first place ever in California. When I came here in 2013, I ended up eating at the Glen Ellen Star here in Glen Ellen, just with some friends. I had heard about it, fell in love with it. And when it was time to open our tasting room, I think we decided in 2017, early 2017, that we wanted to risk it all and quit our full-time jobs and, and do the winery full-time. We started looking in downtown Sonoma. We thought about Napa, Petaluma. We even thought about Healdsburg. A lot of our wines are really shifting from Napa over to Sonoma, at least for our Pinot Noirs, which one we'll taste today. And Glen Ellen just felt right. It's, it's small, it's beautiful. There's nature everywhere you look. The people are amazing. We never expected to be embraced by the community the way we have been. And, um, it's just very genuine feeling and we're super tiny as a winery and so we thought it would probably be a good move for us to be a small fish in a small pond so um yeah and we're in jack london village which is glen ellen's oldest building as well you can see kind of the railing behind i can kind of pivot around you can see there's my laptop case <laughs> but here's our door here's our door so when you come in you get to enter through. I mean, it just feels like a passage into another time. And we saved a lot of the historical kind of architectural features in the tasting room that we could. A lot had to be ripped out, but we saved a bunch of the old redwood and made trim and beams and stuff out of it. So it is a very quaint and cozy space. Fun. It's, it's charming and Glen Ellen has a lot of very deep California history, which is really yeah. cool. You might want to tell us a little bit about that. But what I wanted to mention when I checked out your website, because I, while it's in Glen Ellen, Glen Ellen Village, it was before your tasting room was there. Um, it just looks like it has a lot of bright natural light. And yeah. I noticed that now in these times, visitors can taste outdoors and um, have a really safe yet personal tasting experience. Right. And, you know, when we first closed in we were closed for like a month and a half and we were finally able to reopen at the end of May, beginning of June. And even with all of the restrictions put in place, because we're so tiny, we really didn't have, I mean, we kind of had to change up our entire business plan like everybody else, but because we were doing it on such a small scale, the transition for us was fairly seamless. We, we've got about four tables outside. So while we don't have that many tables, it's easy for us to manage. At least we can get something, you know, some is better than none. Yep. And we're actually finding that the tables book up and we got on open table, you know, they approached us after being referred to by another winery and they reached out to us and they were just like, Hey, we're helping wineries get back kind of on the wagon again and getting people up and running. And we were part of their kind of inaugural winery testing group. And along with that, we've got great connections with a chef that works in Sonoma and Glen Ellen, um, Lauren Kirshner of Goodness Gracious Catering. She's awesome. Her food is awesome. And she also knows how to hustle. I, I use the hustle is like my mantra. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, we just were like, okay, if they're going to let us open and we have to serve a full meal, we'll contact our chef and she catered everything. And, um, we did all bookings. So we knew exactly who was coming. And even with just four small tables, uh, we've just been able to get back up and running again, which is awesome. And putting all these safety measures into place, we just don't have a lot of volume to manage. So also the positive side is that we have a really great wine club membership and because our wines are always changing with the native yeast that rob uses in his techniques the wines are kind of never always the same they're always delicious and so our wine club is really solid that's something that we were very excited about when the pandemic hit we we're like okay everybody's gonna cancel and no one's gonna come no one's gonna want wine uh, you know, the worst is going to happen, but it turns out our wine club members stuck around and um, people were really excited to get out and taste once that initial restriction was lifted and people could actually come out and taste and, and dine with us. We kind of turned the tasting room into a mini restaurant, which is crazy. Laura, <laughs> but you we did it. Laura, you just brought up a great point that we haven't touched upon in any of our segments. And it was you know, that initial fear that all of the wineries really had. Um, the last oh. crisis was the housing, uh, the housing crisis, you know, and when that happened 2007 through like 2012, it was maybe, maybe 11, um, you know, we, we did see a tremendous amount of attrition from our wine clubs. And we all went into this pandemic sort of with that mindset and bracing for that type of um, membership loss. But thankfully that hasn't. Oh. Yeah. I mean, we expected to lose. I think we honestly, we were terrified. Also, Rob and I have kind of been through a lot. I feel like we've been through more than most people, but now that everyone's in the Bay Area together, we've all kind of been through it together. But 2017 rolled around and um, we were supposed to open our tasting room in July, which was the same month we got married. So got married in July, 2017. Our tasting room was supposed to open. That ended up being a year and a half in delays with construction and permits and everything. And then in October, we, we were personally affected by the fire. We lost our little place up on Mount Beater after three months of marriage. And um, then let's see, power safety shutoffs, wildfires the next year. And then with the power safety shutoffs, we were like, we can't be closed for two days. That's gonna kill us. <laughs> like we just started, you know, we're just getting started and we just opened and people have no idea who we are, but they're finding out. And June of 2019 had really shown some momentum for us. And so after the power safety shutoffs, Rob and I are like, we can handle anything. <laughs> like. We got this, we're ready for fire season next year. Little did we all know that the pandemic was coming, but when we first got word that we had to close for two weeks, it was like, we thought for sure we'd lose 50% of our membership. Just with everything we've been through, we're like, of course this is happening. You know, we can't catch a break. I know that there are so many other people like us who felt that same kind of fear and honestly where we are now is amazing i have seen sonoma tackle this thing head on and you know complying with the rules while refusing to fail and that for me has been really inspiring i mean it's what keeps us going seeing other people just killing it it's awesome and it's very exciting to see people thriving during a time that what that is very very scary and unfortunately you know, it hasn't been that great for everybody, but it's been nice to see businesses kind of find creative ways to succeed. So, and I'm, I'm happy to say that we're one of them. You know, you just have to adapt. Sure. <laughs> faster than others. That was kind of a mouthful there, but I, I don't know. It's, it's just really hard to go through this as human beings with so much going on in the world. And one thing that we were really relieved to discover was that not only did people still want wine, you know, they still wanted to enjoy the great things in life, but they wanted good wine. And that I think was a major hurdle for us that being open in June, that first month was gauging how excited people were to go out and try the premium wines. And we definitely fall into that category. And um, to see that people are still out there 
you know, a lot of people who have come to visit us work in tech in the city. You know, we're very heavily relying on, much like most of Sonoma County, we're relying on the Bay Area to sustain us right now. And so a lot of the people who work in the Bay Area are able to telecommute. So I think a lot of people here have been able to keep their jobs, which makes them able to then come out to us and, and visit Sonoma and Napa. And that's my personal kind of intuition about it. Yep. Yeah. I was talking with um, someone else on my Monday radio show, and they were talking about how much of an exodus there is from the city. Mm -hmm. And it's just San Francisco, it's all over the U.S. People are really rethinking living in the city environment, and they are decamping entirely for the birds, of which we are a part of the birds. Right. Because they can telecommute. Right. So exactly. The real estate market has not slowed down here. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. not at all. Yeah. I, think, I, I, I think the other thing is that the wine, you know, wine tasting is something that people can now do that, that, I mean, well, you could always do it, but it's something that people who may not have done it before realize it's one of the things they can get out and do. And right. it's been, I think it's been attracting people to taste wine who maybe hadn't done that before. And I think that's been another kind of upside silver lining for wineries that ha can host people for wine tasting. Yeah. It's amazing that we can go wine tasting, but we can't go camping. <laughs> right. <laughs> not, not with a whole lot of ease, that's for sure. Right. Well, right. Of, of wine tasting, I think we should kick off. Um, yeah. Mr. Wine. Laura, what would you like us to start with? You get to choose. It's your wine. Oh, well, thank you. We're going to start with the Viognier today. So um, also, too, I love smelling wine. I am a smeller. I encourage everyone who comes and tastes with us. I'm like, okay, I know that when you go wine tasting, a lot of people don't kind of guide you in, in how to do it and how they want you to experience their wines. But I encourage everybody to really take time to smell. And this Viognier is an awesome wine to start with. It is so aromatic. Viognier by default is an aromatic varietal. So we're going to start with that. I've got mine. I gave myself a nice hefty pour and I guess I can dump it out in the flowers if I don't need to finish the rest of it. But we have the happiest flowers in Sonoma, by the way. <laughs> I tell people to dump their wine in there. So I'm just going to show, I'm going to show the bottle first and Marsha, I see you have it up. So this is our 2018 Salomon Vineyard Viognier. And I, I just like to hold it up a little bit close. I do all the wine label design. You can see it on Marsha's screen there. Um, and I'll also just tell you really quickly how Rob and I met for people don't, who don't know. But I've been a graphic designer my whole career. And I've done branding and architectural design. I've designed bicycles. I've done all kinds of design stuff. I've done web design and um on the east coast in charlotte and i basically just kind of needed a break in 2013 i turned 30 and freaked out and uh sold my house and i quit my job in charlotte and i came out to napa to learn how to make wine and my dream was to own a boutique winery in Asheville, north carolina that but i needed to learn how to make wine the right way first before i could go out and buy land and plant a couple acres anyway so I came out here, I did a harvest. I discovered very quickly that I did not want to be a winemaker and I did not want to own a vineyard. But you know, the winery dream was still kind of there. Um, but I started doing graphic design for clients out here. And even though I was kind of taking a break, it's just, I naturally flipped back into it. And one day I got an email from a guy who just started his own winery in 2012 and he had 125 cases of Pinot Noir from Carneros in, on the Napa side. And um, he needed a website. And I was a website designer at the time. We had a mutual friend who was also a registered wedding officiant. She ended up marrying us in 2017. So um, she gave him my name and we met and he hired me and here we are. So we worked great together. Rob kept making more and more vintages. And when I tried his Pinot Noir, it was so aromatic for a Pinot. I was used to these kind of middle range grocery store Pinots, which were fine, but they just weren't bold Pinots. I wasn't used to these, these very high end 
luxury Pinot Noirs, like handcrafted in small lots, doing native fermentation. And, you know, I just wasn't used to this, what I would call fancy wine when I had just come from North Carolina. So I knew after a couple years of working with Rob and trying his wines that he would make an amazing Viognier. So I was eventually, see, I had a point. I was leading up to the Viognier, but um, he ended up finding this fruit from Sonoma Valley. This is from the Solomon Vineyard up in Kenwood. And Viognier on its own is an aromatic varietal. This one is over the top. It is so intensely tropical and it smells, it's very guava right now. When we first started making it, I would go into the winery with Rob. We would do some tasting trials and he would take the bung out of the barrel and I'd be 10 feet over to the side and I could smell the pineapple coming from this Viognier, those compounds that are creating that pineapple tropical smell. And um, another winemaker pulled from the same vineyard and that year, he contacted Rob and was like, are you getting a ton of pineapple from this Viognier? And, and, you know, two years ago, the same fruit, our 2016 vintage was like apricot and honeysuckle. So a, a really fun thing about Rob's wines is that they're all native fermented. So you're always using these unique yeasts that are already living in the vineyard. We don't inoculate with anything lab created. Rob's goal when he makes this Viognier and all of our other varietals is to create the absolute best wine that he can create from that vineyard in that particular year with those unique native yeasts in that unique and ever-changing microclimate. That is, I guess, our elevator speech, <laughs> which I, every time someone asks me, like, what's your thing? Well, like, oh, okay, do you have an hour? <laughs> but in a nutshell that's what he does and it smells so good and it's being a has the potential to be very floral a little bit um overly perfumey and while this is intensely aromatic it's not super perfumey so you don't get a lot of those kind of heavy florals from this one i imagine maybe if it shifted in another year you might get some different qualities but this viognier has always been fruity and because we make all of our wines, the rosé, Viognier, Chardonnay, obviously we're going to try next is uh, barrel fermented and aged. Our Viognier is also done in a barrel. And so very, very, very light oak. He's using like two-year used oak barrels for this Viognier. Just that softness of the oak kind of helps tame anything perfumey. It warms it up and it's just super silky and smooth. And also our wines are unfiltered. So that's a huge part of Rob's winemaking philosophy that just brings wines to life in the glass. Because as soon as you filter a wine, you're filtering out these tiny little microparticles that add to the aroma and the texture and flavor. And while it is very necessary for, I think, bigger production wineries to filter, we're, we're not against filtering, but because we're so tiny in production, we're able to do these unfiltered wines and, you know, we don't risk any sort of re-fermentation in the bottle. They're all dry wines. This wine is perceptively sweet, especially on the nose, but it's totally dry, which I'm just proud to say because people try it and they're like, oh, this is sweet. And I'm like, but it's not. <laughs> you know, I, and I love educating people and so does Rob. Um, you know, you'd mentioned that I'm kind of the sales and marketing side. I would actually say that Rob is really good at sales because a lot of it for us now, whenever our guests sit down and we pour wines for them, we never think about what we're, they're going to buy or if they're going to join the club. It's just not e even a thought that enters our minds. At the end of the day, we know that kind of like waiting tables and working for tips, it all balances out in the end. And our primary concern is to educate people about our wines and our philosophies and our techniques and then to just give them a good time. So uh, Rob definitely likes to help with the educating part, for sure. He's, he's more sciencey than I am. So that's like his job. <laughs> he's very sciencey. I tell the love stories. Rob talks about, you know, fermentation and, and clones and all that stuff. And actually, Rob does know more about the history of Glen Ellen than I do. But I can tell you here in Glen Ellen, um, MFK Fisher, 
has lived here. Very well-known author, Jack London. Obviously, everything here is kind of named after Jack London, paying homage to him. Um, our tasting room used to be a recording studio where players of uh, Metallica have recorded. Janis Joplin is rumored, but the timing doesn't quite <laughs> line up. So, uh, but yeah, we're just really lucky to be a part of this incredible mix of arts and culture and agriculture and sensory experiences, which I love. Uh, for Rob and I, we kind of have these combined skills to do everything on our own and we just get the best of everything. It, we're very, very lucky. And it starts with sharing our wine with everybody. Well, it's delicious. Beautiful Thank you. How the pineapple comes through loud and clear, just like you mentioned, Laura. Mm. It really does. Um, you know, you, you didn't mention one little thing, which was Rob's background in winemaking before yeah. he started his own label. Yes. He, he worked with some pretty famous winemakers himself. You want to tell did. a little bit of his background? I'm going to backtrack a little bit, a little bit farther than that. So Rob grew up in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and his dad raised him skiing and backpacking and hiking. And so he was always very connected to the outdoors. And he started in college, University of Idaho, studying biochemistry. And I think he had this vision, maybe he'd be working with potato hybrids or doing something in the cattle industry. So one summer, he was, uh, he was doing a, a work program studying E. coli on a cattle farm. Well, that didn't go so well. Rob nearly died. Oh, he spent uh, he spent some time in the hospital. He got E. coli poison do, poisoning doing this E. coli research, and um, the hospital basically said if you had waited till the next day to come in, you would not have made it. And um, so I think for Rob, he was like, oh okay, maybe it's time to shift gears a little bit. He ended up going to Europe and had the great European wine experience. The long, late dinners with lots of wine and amazing food and everyone just sharing everything. And that's when he decided to come back and finish his education. He finished biochem. And then he also tacked on viticulture and enology at Washington State. So... Uh, he really came out with this amazing education, got hired right away at Chateau St. Michel up in Washington, working on their higher tier brands. So he kind of started at the top. He did it for a year. And I think it's a combination of talent and right place, right time, a really great palette. He got a job working for Marco Bear and then after that, Jason Palmeyer. So he was Marco Bear's assistant winemaker for about three years, worked for Paul Meyer for a couple of years. Rob really, he was very lucky, but it, again, it's also like right place, right time, but also knowing what you're doing and being confident and knowing the science. He helped Mar Marco Bear and Jason Paul Meyer to make these native fermented unfiltered wines. And when you learn that technique very early on in your career, I can see how kind of alluring it would be to continue on in that style. I mean, it's as old school as it gets. You know, you harvest the fruit, you bring it in, and you let those native yeast do the fermentation. It's really finicky. It is a volatile winemaking process, but when you're doing it in small batches like we are, you know, you, you can manage it more. And so he really learned from the best. And he has some tricks in the cellar that I'm not allowed to disclose, but they're brilliant. And just learning these different ways of making incredible wines and, you know, alleviating risk in the vineyard and in the cellar. He's, he's really just an incredible pool of um, knowledge and talent. And his palate is very impressive. So I think that's also how we get along. He, Rob and I kind of have similar palates and uh, we tend to agree on most things, which is good. <laughs> very, very helpful when you're married and you're in business together. <laughs> yes, people often ask us how we do it. And, um, you know, we've been married for three years now. We each take a separate trip once a year. I go do something with my friends. He goes and does something with his friends or he'll go backpacking. He just backpacked in Yosemite for a week and 
I was in South Carolina. Everything was fine. I'm, I passed my self-quarantine time and I feel great. It's been about three weeks and, um, but we need that. We really need that time just to go do our own thing. And um, whenever we come back together, we're just so focused when we're working in the winery and at the tasting room, we're very in sync. And at home, we just, well, we just bought a house together in Sonoma. And so we're renovating our kitchen. That's been an adventure. That's, That's another thing that can be a lot of trouble for couples. Yeah. <laughs> well, I usually take whatever budget he gives me and I double it. So, <laughs> but yeah, we, we love Lisa, what are you getting in the Viognier? Well, I just wanted to comment. I mean, definitely all the tropical, um, both in, in the nose and on the mouth, but also it's just very lush, very round, mm -hmm. um, a lot of nice viscosity, which I, I'm guessing is because of it being unfiltered. It's beautiful, it's delicious. And I would agree, not sweet, though it, it has that, you know, hint of sweetness. It is a dry wine. It's, I love Viognier, and I feel like it's, one of those varietals that's a little more rare to find around Napa and Sonoma, so it's really, really fun to, to have this. It yeah. took me a few years to convince Rob to make this Viognier. <laughs> I kept, I'm like, you should make a Viognier. You should, come on, I know, it'll be amazing. It'll be great. <laughs> and uh, he finally did find this vineyard. And the roundness, too, is, I mean, it's like a triple threat, this Viognier. It's roundness is from being unfiltered and from being barrel fermented and aged. And it's just a characteristic of Viognier. Viognier is known for its viscosity. Some people would describe it as oily. I have had an oily Viognier before. I would call this one more silken than oily. It's got, it doesn't like slip around in your mouth, you know, like olive oil would, but it definitely has this rich, it has a richness to it on the palate, the mouthfeel that is just lovely so yeah all of those different things combined it is a huge wine i love it this is this is my new favorite laura what do you like to pair with it at home when you're cooking mm -hmm. so we did a fennel burrata salad with this vignette and it was amazing it had a little bit of a lemon zest and some um just lemon juice like a little lemony dressing that we made I love that in the tasting room now. I love talking about this because you're either a rule breaker or you're a rule follower. And I'm typically a rule follower. I hate doing things wrong. I am mortified if I get pulled over for going five miles over. You know, I like rules. I like boundaries. Like I like control. And in the tasting room, we pair this dry Viognier with candied pineapple. And if you yeah. know, a little bit about food pairing, um, you may know that you never, ever, ever pair a sugary dish with a dry wine because the sugar enhances the bitterness and sourness of the wine. It makes the wine taste bad. And I don't know, Rob and I were experimenting one day. We were pairing our 2016 Viognier, same vineyard, same block. Again, it was very apricotty, honeysuckle we were pairing it with dried apricots. And the dried apricots, you know, have a little tiny, tiny bit of sugar, but they're more tart than anything. They paired great with the beignet. And one day, you know, we carried that into the 2018, this very tropical. We kept it with the apricots because we really wanted to just focus on acidity in the pairing. Our food pairings are very simple, but they're all about acid, fat, um, tannin, definitely um, fruitiness, sugar, all of these things that happen on your palate. They're, they're not complex recipes, but very simple little bites. And I went to the grocery store one day to get my dried apricots and they were sold out. And I'm like, okay, I've got more people that just booked coming in. They want to do a food pairing and I don't have any apricots and the farm stands are closed, so I can't go. And I saw the candied pineapple and I'm like, this Viognier is pineapple-y. It's, it's, it's like a pineapple bomb. I'm going to go with it. And so I grabbed the candied pineapple, came back to the tasting room and I did the pairing. And because this Viognier, the 2018 that's in Marsha's screen there, because it is so intensely fruity, even though it's not sweet, that intense fruitiness cut right through that sugar 
and it was all that candied pineapple the sugar just kind of melted away and created this kind of creaminess on the palate and that pineapple fruit from the dried pineapple just paired with the wine and it was a pineapple explosion and it was so good and i was so excited because i'm like we are breaking this rule <laughs> I'm like, I've never been so excited to defy a wine rule, no less. I mean, people are very particular about wine rules and we want to loosen those boundaries. And, and we do that with that food pairing. It gets me very excited. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I love, I mean, but this is our passion. And I feel like when people taste with us, they, they can sense that. I have to edit myself down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> to get people in and out in an hour but you know I, I love talking about this pairing it's just unexpected and it works it genuinely works so that was kind of a happy accident uh, I think a lot of things will go with this because the Viognier's is so well structured like you said the acid is is very strong so it it brings the backbone and structure into it and it will it will age well over several years and I as long as you get that strong acid structure in there, there's so much that you can do with it. Right. And we have been finding too that because our wines are unfiltered, the whites and rosés age for a pretty long time. So you don't have, you know, you filter wines, you get a really clean wine in the bottle, you get every last drop out of the barrel or the tank, whatever you're bringing it out of but you're exposing it to just a little bit more oxygen in that filtering process. And I think when you're doing a rosé or white, you want to drink them, well, depending, obviously not a Chardonnay, but it, you really want to kind of drink those chilled wines when they're a little bit younger. Our rosés age for five years, which is also kind of surprising. for. Uh, I think a lot of people would be afraid to drink a rosé that's aged for five years, but ours just that acidity just mellows out over time. The same thing with this Vignet. The acidity just totally mellows. It gets nice and soft. And then that fruit just continues to hit the palate really strong. So, I think the big fear with rosé is um, with color as the years pass. Uh, yes. It's very hard to hold the color due to oxygenation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's always a big challenge. But we're now looking at the rosé. Right. The next one here is we've got the Chardonnay. I could talk about all, I could talk about everything all day long. Just name <laughs> it. I'll talk about it. <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on to the Chardonnay now. And you know what? Every bottle of wine has a story, at least for us. This and one has a very special story. It does. So the Vignet story, just really, I'm just going to go back real fast. I promise yes. it'll be fast. The Vignet, when Rob called Bob and Linda Solomon to get this Vignet, he fell in love with the fruit. He's like, I want that fruit. I'll put down a deposit. I like, I want to make sure I get it. Three hours later, I'm not going to say who, but a very, very famous winemaker called Bob and Linda wanting the fruit. And they had to say, we're very sorry, very famous winemaker, but it's already spoken for. So that's our, our Vignay story. <laughs> Don't you want to know who it is? Yeah. Um, you know, you probably should keep that, you know. It's a, it's a secret, yeah. but it feels good, especially because we're such a small winery and a lot of people still don't know who we are. We're getting more well-known, but for a grower to honor a little known winemaker based on their word, I mean, I, I feel like that immediately is the start of a good relationship, but we're moving on to the Chardonnay now. So, Marcia, if you want to switch out your bottles, actually, um, oh, you want to keep that one there. The oh. bottle now. Oh, perfect. I do have. Oh, I do have okay. the bottle, but I don't have a good way to set it here, so I'll okay. show the bottle. So I will share. This is our 2017 Schurmeister 35 Laura Chardonnay. This is from the Antica Vineyard up on Atlas Peak in Napa Valley. And another thing I really love about Rob's winemaking, he is not partial to any one, you know, Napa or Sonoma. He's bridging the gap between the two. And um, there are some other wineries here in Sonoma that do that too. I love that. There are great vineyards in both valleys and in the hills in between. And, um, you know, we're not really stuck to one particular area, which is great. So we have a lot of room to play around we're going on to our Chardonnay now. So this Chardonnay 
It's called 35 because it was harvested on my 35th birthday. We were out in the vineyard working. We were testing fruit a few days before to pick the perfect pick day and, um, you know, comparing grape flavors, which is always really fun, tasting the grapes before they even become wine. And Rob, <laughs> uh, I love him. He felt so terrible that every year now, now that we're together and we're doing the winery full time, he felt really bad that we're always working on my birthday. There's no, we don't really go out to dinner. We don't go celebrate anything special. If I want something, I buy it for myself. So there's really no ever no presents or anything. And uh, 2017, he just said, you know, we're always working on your birthday. We were harvesting on September 28th this year. I want to name this Laura Chardonnay in honor of you. And I was at first a little embarrassed because I tell people about it. And then I pour it for people. I'm like, this is Laura Chardonnay. This was not my idea to name it this. Oh, uh, you can own it, girl. I, do. I mean, I blush a little bit. It's kind of like, I don't know. We're just, this whole life that we're living here in Sonoma is so far beyond what I ever imagined. And I feel, I think Rob did not expect to be at this level so young. And I mean, we're getting up in our thirties now, but I feel that's still young. I, I feel like we're all young. I mean, this pandemic has aged us a little bit, but I just feel like very humbled by all the people we've met, by the amazing talent and pool of knowledge that's all around us every day. And so when Rob had that idea to name it after me, I'm like, I'm just going to tell everybody that this was not my idea. <laughs> um, but I love it. And it's really sweet. And uh, we're going to do another Chardonnay this year. Don't know when we're going to be harvesting. We're looking at that same vineyard. But let's go ahead and talk about the Chardonnay because we'll be here all day if I don't move on to it. So. <laughs> I know. Well, I just, I just want to comment that um, when I first picked it up and just thrilled it, you know, going back to aromas, it was like really not overpowering, but really nice, very pleasing butterscotch, right? Just like mm -hmm. hit me in the face in a, um, you know, in a, I don't oh. know, kind of like a creme brulee sort of way. It, it was is. just, it was delicious, delicious um, fragrance. The thing that, that's another thing I love about this Chardonnay. So I'll, I'll give you some specifics. So this is 90% clone four standard, nice producing Chardonnay clone. And I don't know a lot about clones, but I know what I tasted in the vineyard and I can talk about that. And 10% is a Muscat clone. So the clone four from this vineyard, clone four can be tropical in warmer climates, but we're up on Atlas Peak. We're high up in the hills. The vineyard isn't kind of tucked in this really beautiful little dip in the mountains way up at the top. It gets great sun exposure, but it also gets cool up there. So Rob had me taste two grapes side by side before we even harvested. This was probably a week before harvest. And the clone four grape had a lot of pear, just like crisp, but kind of warm pear flavors. And then he had me taste the Muscat clone and it was like honey, spices like just lovely kind of creme brulee-ish it had very dessert type qualities i i would say dominantly pear in the clone four and honey in the muscay and as we were fermenting this in barrel it had this beautiful nutty almondy kind of aroma again rob would take the bung out of the barrel and i love smelling i'm i'm like a super smeller and just those warm nutty and then kind of like cinnamony notes were coming in. And this wine also went through full malolactic fermentation. So you're gonna get creaminess from that. The thing that I love the most about the Chardonnay is that it's very gently oaked. Rob did 40% new French oak on the Chardonnay. A challenge for me with Chardonnay is that it's often too oaky. And depending on how it's produced with oak chips or staves, it can really take the oak over the top. And I think that there are people out there who love oaky Chardonnays and there's nothing wrong with that. There are people that love super, super buttery Chardonnays. I prefer a more fruit forward Chardonnay and Rob does as well. And we can also uh, attest to this. Other people have told us this is a very Aubert style Chardonnay. It's fruit forward. It's got a little bit of warmth, some spiciness to it. I get pear and almond from this 
one and a gentle, gentle oaking. I think the oak on this one is perfect and it'll continue to ease up a little bit as it ages. I, I love the Chardonnay and I'm not a Chardonnay fan, but I did change my mind about Chardonnay when I first came to Napa and worked for David Mahaffey of Olivia Brion Winery. So cheers to David, he makes an awesome Chardonnay. And that's where I really learned that Chardonnay could be lovely and fruity and light, maybe a little bit floral, but not too much. Um, it's just really important to try everything, really. Just get out there and, and try everything. And I'm proud to have my name on the Chardonnay for sure. Good, <laughs> as you should. <laughs> mm. It is lovely. Um, you know, you, you mentioned being up above on Atlas Peak, but in case some of our listeners aren't aware, the vineyard itself is above 1,400 feet elevation. Mm -hmm. So this really means that there's a lot more diurnal swing um, day in, day out. Um, really, really cool nights. Yes. Uh, and then really getting the heat in the growing season. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's one of the reasons that Atlas Peak fruit is um, so beloved uh, and, and people chase after what they can get of it Yeah, um, because <laughs> it's, a, it's a relatively small sub-AVA of Napa Valley, mm -hmm. um, but the fruit that is grown in Atlas Peak is very much coveted. Um, by winemakers um, in particular because of its characteristics of imparting um, such intense flavors, but also yes. delivering a fair amount of elegance. Yes, and I actually, that's probably one of the better descriptions I've heard of the Chardonnay, and I'm totally going to steal that for the tasting room. It, it's, the Chardonnay has wonderful presence. It's got structure. I think the acidity on it is perfect um and at the same time it does have this kind of delicate quality to it that i really really love i for me it's just the best wine to just open a bottle i love to pair it with um, a triple cream cheese latour is my favorite if you get a really fresh latour one that hasn't been sitting around a couple days that isn't too stinky i think it would be perfect with like a day of <laughs> latour <laughs> Yummy. Like ultra, ultra fresh. Um, we also pair this one with a firmer, like a Beamster cheese, a, a hard, little bit dry yellow cheese that has those little crunchy crystals in it. Rob turned me on to that kind of cheese. I'd never had it before. And it's really nice. The nuttiness of a Beamster cheese goes really well with the kind of nuttiness of the Chardonnay that's at the back of the palate a little bit. So... Yes, I'm, I'm quite proud. Um, scallions um, would, would be something. And I actually, what crossed my mind was halibut. Oh, yeah, that would be. Halibut would have the weight and the heft to match the Chardonnay, mm -hmm. but not overwhelm it in any way. And I would say the little bit fruitier quality of the Chardonnay, again, even though it is 40% new oak, it's not going to overpower that halibut too. The fruitiness will go with that, uh, with the fish. I think beautifully. I mean, now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I have a, I'll be getting some halibut aged, on the way home. <laughs> yeah, I have an aged Gouda that I just got this morning. And so I think when we're finished here, I'm gonna try yeah. that with this based upon what you said about the beamer cheese. That sounds really delicious. I think you know, that kind of- nice. yeah. That being said, flip side we tried it with a white cheddar and it was not good it was not a good pairing um we had some friends pair it with some buttered popcorn just to try that out that's a very kind of standard chardonnay pairing if you want something casual and i think the buttered popcorn did overwhelm the chardonnay i mean this is this is a more delicate um chardonnay so i i love how excited people get we have one person who is now hooked on it and she says it's the chardonnay she's been searching for her whole life which feels amazing to hear <laughs> wow so, yeah so it's, it's good no do you will you be making future vintages of chardonnay from this atlas peak vineyard we are talking to the grower now and it looks like it may be an option so we'll keep you posted <laughs> good 
yes, we're in the very fun fruit negotiation period of harvest. <laughs> That's not stressful at all. <laughs> no, not at all, I'm sure. Yeah. So do you want to move on to Pinot next? I do want to move on to Pinot, and I want to hear a bit about the bottle of Pinot that you shared early on before there was Rob and Laura. Oh, oh, this, this, well, I call it the seduction wine. So this is the first bottle. Okay, let me backtrack again. I do a lot of backtracking. I have a lot of stories. <laughs> so when I first met Rob, you know, he interviewed me. We met at Starbucks in downtown Napa. It was very professional. Just, it was like 30 minutes. Like, this is what I charge. He's like, okay. He said, this is what I want for style. And I said, okay. And we parted ways. And the second time we met was a little bit different. He came over. Uh, I was working with the wine label designer at the time in her studio. And Rob had just gotten off work from the winery and he opened the gate to the driveway and I was working in a little studio in the back in this lovely garden. It was very wine country and new for me, which is exciting. And it was just a beautifully romantic day to begin with. He opens the gate, he comes walking through and I can remember that moment like in slow motion. I remember the way his hair looked. I remember his shirt he was wearing and I was like, okay, he's really cute. <laughs> like this is bad you know i'm very dedicated to professionalism especially as a freelance designer i just hold myself to a very high standard even though i was working for myself and um you know thought he was cute and we sat down and that's kind of the time when i would interview my client and just get to know them who they are outside of what they do for work so if i'm going to design this website for rob i really want the website to represent him and his wine. So we ended up talking for six hours that day. It got dark and Rob's like, I guess I should go home now. And it was dinner time and you know, so he left and the woman who I was working with turned to me and she goes, sounded like you were on a date. <laughs> so, uh, but that day he, he did give me a bottle of his Pinot Noir, his inaugural 2012 vintage. It was a bottle of Pinot from the Paladini Vineyard in Carneros. This is on the Napa side. And we've done a couple of the Paladini vintages, but this was his very first. And he gave me this wine and he just said, I want you to try this, understand what I'm working towards and that I'm, I'm a serious winemaker and you really need to, to try the wine if you're going to design the website around, you know, myself and this wine. So I'm like, okay, free bottle of wine, woohoo. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, he left and I opened the wine that night with my friend and uh, she was very experienced in the wine industry. She'd had a lot of Pinot in her life and, and other varietals. And we opened it and we smelled it. And I looked at her and I'm like, okay, this is, this is good. And she smelled it and she's like, this is really good. And then I tasted it and I thought, I'm going to have to figure out a way to marry this guy because this wine is amazing. <laughs> like, I will, not only will I design his website, but I will quit my entire life and I will tell this story forever. And um, I mean, obviously all those things came into play later, but I just fell in love with the wine because Rob's Pinot style is so bold. It's rich. It's earthy. This particular vintage, this 2017 Pinot Noir we're tasting from the Terra de Permisio vineyard. This is in the Petaluma Gap AVA. However, on the label, we're putting it as Sonoma Coast, but it is Petaluma Gap recently designated AVA. I think in 2017 was the year that it became official. And we just did a show with ah, the Petaluma Gap ladies. Yeah. Oh, we, I am obsessed with Petaluma Gap for Pinot Noir. I love it. It is the perfect combination of coastal cooling, some fog, and lots of happy sunlight to get those sugars developed in the Pinot. And this is a lower elevation Pinot, not, not higher, 
So you're going to get some fruit expression out of this. When those sugars really develop in the grape from that lower elevation and getting a little bit more sunlight below the fog line that comes in off the coast, you're going to get beautiful. I get raspberry from this wine. I get umami flavors. It's earthy, but it's not funky. Um, it, it has this warm kind of savory aroma and especially flavor on the palate. The acidity on it to me is perfection. I would love to pair this with any sort of uh, dark meat, like a leg of lamb would be incredible. Um, sometimes our chef who we use will pair it with duck, which is really good, a nice kind of rich, fatty type of meat. Um, yeah, it's, uh, this very much brings me back to 2012, to the vintage that I was calling the seduction wine. So when we had it in the tasting room, you know, we poured the 2012 for like, I think six months and then it, it sold out. But uh, people at the end would be like, I'll take a bottle of the seduction wine. <laughs> so uh, this, the, I, it's just very much Rob style, rich, earthy, nice acidity. The fruit is the star. It's very gently oaked. And I think something too, that's important to note about our reds, all the reds Rob makes, they're pretty gentle on tannin, which I prefer. I'm, some people love tannin. Again, it all just boils down to personal preference. So, mm. you're muted. <laughs> oh, there, there we go. Because my phone just kept ringing and it was different people ringing and I was just like, go away. Anyway, um, <laughs> trials and tribulations of Zoom recording. <laughs> right. Uh, what, I, what I was trying to get at was, um, Laura, this vintage, the 2017 Pinot Noir, is not yet on the website. It will be very soon. We just released it. Okay, so that was my question was, is, has this just been released or was it about to come out? So We, we released it in the tasting room about a month ago. However, Rob just did three wine club dinners back to back in Telluride and the 2017 is almost sold out. <laughs> it will, it, wow. it, I don't know how much we have left, but it will sell out before our 2016 Russian River Pinot. Um, it's also amazing to say that our wines are selling out. That, that feels awesome. <laughs> well, and that means that Rob can up the production. So we're going to go up to about 875 this year. In inventory management is the the single challenge for any business of any size. Doesn't matter whether or not you're making a million cases a year or you're making a hundred cases a year. Um, the trick is managing it the right amount to keep moving forward so right. that you can continue growing in the way that you want to. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things about this Pinot that came to mind was that. Um, the ladies of the Petaluma Gap AVA had told us was that in the history of the AVA, which is brand new, um, that a hundred years ago, it had been the standard bill of fare to say, oh, you can't grow Pinot Noir in the Petaluma Gap because it's much too windy. They thought it's much too delicate. It can't hold up. It's not going to do well in the Petaluma Gap. And yet, various growers have learned, oh, no, 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 no. Do it the right way with the right clones, and it is an ideal place to do it. Um, of course, one of the experts in that arena was um, Anna Keller. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so who, uh, Keller Estate has a lovely Petaluma Gap AVA, and also, uh, oh, it's- Sarah? Who, who are you thinking of, Lisa? Kareth. Kareth, thank you. Kareth Overs, yeah. Brulium Wines, um, also has a beautiful Pinot Noir, and she was also advocating for Petaluma Gap Pinot Noirs as a great place to make fantastic Pinot Noirs. Yes, and now it is some of the highest priced Pinot Noir that you can find in this area. And it is so, it's some of the best Pinot Noir I've ever had. It never disappoints. I love how dense the color is. I mean, if you look at that. Oh, yeah. It's so, I mean, I'm not going to say inky because this isn't Cab or, you know, Merlot. But it is so 
it has so much depth of color. And for me, I'm like, okay, this is what Pinot is supposed to be now. I have unrealistic expectations now. <laughs> but I love it. And I love to see Rob making wines that he loves. He is obsessed with Pinot. He loves a project. Um, the joke is, you know, he likes finicky things and so do I, which is what, that's why I married him. And that's why he picks Pinot Noir. Like we both like difficult, you know, challenges. And um, just Pinot being so delicate and so easily prone to the elements and to, um, you know, pests and everything. It's really exciting to take something so challenging and to just rock it. Yeah. So, and I, 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 this is a great food pairing Pinot, but at the same time, I like to drink it on its own. I, Which you absolutely can, as we are right now. Yes. It's delicious. Yes. And um, it is fabulous. Laura, we're just about out of time, and I want to, um, uh, Misty already had to jump off because she's had a crazy schedule the past couple of days. Um, first of all, listeners um, will, of course, provide the link to your website, um, sharemeister.com, um, is where you can find more details on the wine. You have um, three different levels that people can jo uh, join the Sharemeister Club at, which actually, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, it's here. <laughs> The club, join the society. The yes. Magnus Venom Society, yes. Inspired by the alchemist Albertus Magnus. So Magnus Venom, obviously wine, the Great Wine Society. It is our goal to not only make amazing wine, but we're really passionate about educating people about how it's made well in a very digestible way. So it's not overwhelming. So if they come and taste with us, They'll get to spend time with me and Rob. They get winemaker time. Um, Rob is actually amazing with people. You know, he's not stuck in the cellar anymore. He loves talking to our guests about wine. And, um, you know, we really just want to share our stories and experiences with them. And, and it becomes a part of their story. So uh, we're just happy to be the ones doing it. it makes us feel really good. Yay. Yeah. Very exciting. Very exciting. Um, uh, uh, Lisa, did you have a last question? I have one last question, but I wanted to make sure you got anything in that you wanted to say, dear. I just wanted to um, ask that to visit, people need to go to Open Table, right? To set up yeah. a, a time slot to reserve a visit? Yes, we would love to see people. We are asking that they go on to Open Table and search for Schirmeister Winery. It's S-C-H and you can book through there. We have a couple options. You can just do a wine tasting or you can pair it with small bites and that's where you'll get that candied pineapple that I was talking about. So we have a nice little plate of simple pairings, some chocolates made by our neighbors at Wine Country Chocolates. And um, you can book all of that online. You can also go to shermeister.com visit if you wanna check out our website, read a little bit about us and also book through there. Perfect. Perfect, thank you. Yeah. Hey, and one last little question, Laura. Uh, if you can, if you can sandwich it into a small thing, where are you, <laughs> where are you hoping to be in five years? In a custom-built mid-century modern rustic Scandinavian house in the Petaluma Gap. <laughs> no, in in five years we want to still be here. We probably want to be at around two thousand cases mostly allocated that's our goal but we would hate to deny anyone good wine we're still going to have a tasting room we love it in glen ellen uh, we want to be here we're going to still be making petaluma gapinos um the viognier is here to stay chardonnay I, we're just going to grow slow and steady it's really worked for us so far we don't want to get too big we, we like doing it we like doing it ourselves <laughs> Exciting as, as we can. <laughs> well, it's absolutely delicious. It's been absolutely refreshing to hear all your stories and your enthusiasm for the wine. Which Thank you is, for listening. <laughs> yeah, for you know everybody who's listening. You know, this is what being in the wine business or just being a wine consumer who is an avid, rabid fan <laughs> is you know, find what you love and dig in on it. Um, yes. There. Having, yeah, a, I, having a phenomenal partner makes a big difference. So I'm very grateful to Rob for, I don't know, going on this journey together. It's, it's, it's amazing. We're living our best lives. Woohoo! 
it's you're kind of you're you're the 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 dreams do come true kind of person and i like your energy and i like your vibe and you guys are making beautiful wines so congratulations yeah thank you so much for trying our wines today and for hearing our stories and for having me on this was really fun delicious thank you so much laura thank you thank you so much lisa for being here today misty who had to duck off early thank you so much and most of all listeners thank you for tuning in to wine women radio we really appreciate your tuning in uh, and particularly to hear the stories of women in the wine business we are mighty we are strong uh, we are excited about um, the news of the day, which will be old by the time this is released. Uh, but we have a new uh, woman vice president uh, w- nominated, which it's been a while since we've done that. So it's a good thing. So thank you all. Mm-hmm. And Thanks, everyone. To everyone, cheers. cheers. Uh, have a wonderful thing in your glass this evening. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Lisa, for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.